0: The Spot Track Podcast,
1: talking sports contracts, the salary cap,
0: and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Trinetti. It is Wednesday, May 3rd. The fifth year option deadline has officially passed for the NFL regarding 2020 first round picks. We're going to analyze some of those names in just a few seconds here. And on the back end of the show, Keith Smith joins me to break down a couple of offseason previews, not the ones he's uh, he's specifically dove, dove into just yet, but. Uh, some of the big boys, what's for, what's with Milwaukee, what's with Memphis, what's with Sacramento, what's with Cleveland and what is to become of the Dylan Brooks saga, which is uh, fascinating polarizing, but, um, spoiler isn't going to p- preclude him from <laughs> making a ton of money. Let's put it that way. Uh, Keith gives me a really good 35 minutes in the back end of this thing, uh, breaking down a bunch of teams. And uh, some of the scenarios that head into this offseason, specifically speaking, in terms of contracts and finances. I was hoping to have a complete breakdown of Lamar Jackson's contract, A, because it's good content. B, I'm unbelievably interested with the non-agency, with the back and forth, with the up and down, with the franchise tag, with the potential trade request. I I mean, that was him. (laughs) right? Are we forgetting that he specifically put himself out there? Uh, all of it was obviously just the ploy and Baltimore certainly caved to some degree. And it sure sounds like the fully guaranteed demand was, was caved in upon as well. So I'm, I'm just fascinated with where this, how this looks from a structural standpoint, uh, just how good his first two years, first three years are in that four-year contract. Um, is it actually a four-year contract or did they tack on, right? Is the two sixty part of the 32.4? It hasn't, hundred percent been confirmed that that is not the case. Although I'm assuming that's the case, but it's just a a fascinating window. I want to get into at this this point in time. We'll get there soon. And, uh, and then it'll be followed up probably by a couple more massive quarterback contracts to break down the rest of this summer. I'm going to talk a lot of quarterbacks next week. So I'm going to stay off of that here. And I'm going to stay off of that with the first year option stuff as well. Excuse me, the fifth year option. Um, That means Burrow. That means Tua. That means Herbert obviously there's some discussion points with Tua. I, all I can say is, you know, they took the risk on the most important position. It could backfire and it could be a great decision. That's right. I mean, there's more can you say with the quarterback in the fifth year option? Uh, to me, the, a bigger story was Daniel Jones last year, not getting the fifth year option and then turning things around and eventually getting his long-term contract, which is really two for 90 essentially with the buyout. Um, the most declined fifth year options in history it's only been it's only been here since 2011 so it's not like this is a you know five decade analysis but there's a lot of reasoning behind that we've got this at 12 exercises 15 declines four unavailable to be decided upon and one completely bypassed with a last minute extension obviously that's jordan love why the 15 declines there's a bunch of reasons uh, a couple of these are just unfortunate scenarios, you know. Um sort of it is what it is scenarios. A couple of these are fluky injuries and I think if the if specifically with like a Jordan Brooks, if that ACL isn't mangled right now, I'm pretty positive that 12.7 million is fully exercised by yesterday. So there were some down to the wire scenarios with injuries of good good players, I think Patrick Queen Right, unfortunate. They they were able to upgrade the guy standing next to him, Roquan Smith, and then pay him a huge bag. Otherwise, he I think he's good enough to continue to start for the next two seasons, and he may find that on another team in the next couple of weeks here. Uh, and then the CBA, you know, this is the second iteration of the CBA that fully guarantees these things the second that the exercise happens. So this isn't going to be an anomaly. This is going to be a trend. We're going to see half of these options probably at least get get declined out of the gate because the team isn't willing to fully guarantee that salary immediately speaking. So there's a lot that goes into this. It's a, it's a more difficult decision. Uh, we saw the number two overall pick, Chase Young, be declined. That hasn't happened since Trubisky. We saw three top 10 picks, two, eight, and nine declined. We saw five top 15 picks. That's when you start talking about that, and by the way, the Becton one's an injury, the Henderson one's just performance, the Simmons one's is, is I think, performance-based, and the young one is injury and somewhat performance-based. When you're talking about those four players and then Javon Kinlaw, who I think is you know an above average player, but they were able to pay a ton of money to Javon Hargrave, so that's, that's the route they've gone here. That's your top, you know, five players in the top fifteen of this draft. When you get to that point in time, no matter what the reasoning is, I think it's time to say this was a tough draft, a tough first round at least. Obviously, I'm not looking at the full two fifty five, but tough first round. Now you got your Burrows, you got your Justin Jeffersons, you got your Herberts, you got your Tristan Wirfs, right? There's a lot of slam dunks here, uh, early, uh, kind of spread all over the place, right? But. There's some clunkers. There's no question about it. Anytime you're talking about top 15 picks essentially being moved on from four year three, this is year three, year four, headed into year four to year three finish. So three years of service and five of the top 15 are essentially being moved on from. That's not great. So, um, like I said, this isn't going to be a one-time thing. We're going to see a lot of this. It's going to be an annual tradition, and my favorite part of this is now it's kind of like a crap game a craps game right they've rolled the dice out there or they've taken the dice off the table maybe for the teams that are declining here and the player gets to go out there and either a request a trade which i think is totally a viable uh, response to this right well you've you've already kind of put your foot in the sand that this is not going to be a long-term relationship Um, and you can say all the right things, right? Makai backed him off. If you show you're healthy and you can hang as the right tackle, we'll pay you and we'll keep you around. Or maybe it's a franchise tag, whatever it's going to be. They're going to say that stuff, but they're also not going to wait around. This is the Jets team that's in the contention window. This is Carolina team that's looking to get into the contention window. This is an Arizona team that's hitting the pause button and then expects to be in contention with Kyle Murray next year. So, you know, San Francisco contention window with Javon Kinlaw, they're moving on, right? They've already replaced this guy. So, I think it's fully okay, if I'm speaking from a player's perspective, for these players to go out there and say, look, if this isn't where it's gonna be, you know, and I'm sitting second on this depth chart anyway, let's talk. You know, let's see, you know, let my agent do some work, see what's out there. Maybe maybe this will be beneficial for both sides. I wonder if that it'll lead to that, which is just great. It's great for content people, for people that follow this sport, for people that are looking for an NFL boost in mid-May or June, which is what this could be. You know, a post-six-one trade of two or three top 15 draft picks. Well, that's that's juice. That's buzz. I think it's totally viable. I think mean, Chase Young is on the trade block right now. I think he has been since before the draft, when they essentially put their, their foot down and said, We're not gonna, you know, exercise this fifth-year option. It's, wishy, it's a wishy-washy situation. Well, now he's an expiring contract. Now he's a rental. And do you want him to be a full year rental and trade him now? Or do you want him to wait to the trade deadline and see where things are? And if it's the same old, same old, what can you get from him for four months? Way less, right? Or two or three months, excuse me. Way less. So I, I wonder if the increase in decline options is going to lead to an increase in mid-May trades or June 2nd trades would be great. I think the, the NFL needs more and more of this every, every year. So if this is something that they were planning on when they built in this CBA guarantee, good for them. If it's going to be a, a nice benefit, good for them. Okay. Good for all of us and uh, good for these players too. I I don't mean to be speaking from a, a top-down look. If Isaiah Simmons thinks he's been done wrong by Arizona, and I, I I would tend to be on his side in this one. I think this is a guy that... Has just been put in a bad situation. They went offense heavy for years. Quarter, you know, even starting with the Josh Rosen era, it's been offense heavy. Yes, they are quite, you know, they signed JJ Watt, et cetera, et cetera. But it's been pretty one-sided uh, from that last regime. And he's gotten a raw look. You know, they haven't been able to get him or put him in a position to be versatile, to be successful because There's just not enough ball players around him right now, not enough able bodied defensive players on that roster. Can he find himself in year four, now an expiring rookie contract, a defense that better serves him, that gives him a better path, either into an extension or into free agency? Absolutely. And if I'm him and I'm looking around the room and there's a Hopkins trade, you know, rumor and et cetera, et cetera, J.J. Watts retired, Rodney Hudson's retired, they've traded some pieces. I'm next i'm next now maybe he loves it there maybe he he wants to be there for the the quick rebuild on the fly i'm not certainly not speaking for him but that's me is a perfect example of a player that now knows where he stands because of this deadline yesterday and he can go one of two ways with it which is one go out there and grind and, and try to get himself to free agency as best as possible as an arizona cardinal or have the agent start doing some work and see where this ends up so i think for a lot of these players that will be the case We'll see how many or if any of these come to fruition over the next couple of weeks or months as we approach training camp and things like that. How about some of the exercises? To me, most of these were no-brainers. Uh, how about a couple that came out of nowhere late, right? Like Brandon Ayuk. Uh, you know, after two seasons, I, I was certainly wishy-washy with where, the, with where this is headed, and then Debo Samuel taking the step forward, and uh, plenty of uh, look McCaffrey coming on board. How many weapons were going to supersede Brandon Ayuk? To put him in a position where he wasn't going to be visible enough or productive enough to warrant a fourteen million dollars salary. Well, it's here, and and San Francisco made it pretty easy on themselves. I'd say the same thing about Jerry Judy, and maybe less confidently. I'm not, I'm not even sure that Denver wants Jerry Judy on this roster in 2024. Maybe this year, right? Maybe they want to give him a fair shake with the uh, Sean Payton's offense, with Russell Wilson 2.0 in Denver, whatever it's going to be. But I I have to imagine that they're at least considering some of these calls they are getting on him. Maybe it's more geared towards Cortland Sutton on trade, but, uh, they exercise it. So they at least think this guy's going to play well enough to either stick around for two full seasons here and, or be tradable whether it's this year or after this season heading into this fifth year option. So it's a, that's a bit of a risk. We'll see where that heads up. Um, same with Jedrick Wills, the the, uh, offensive tackle for Cleveland They've drafted some replacements. It's going to take a, a minute for them to get all up to speed. Um, this guy's been good. I mean, he's above average. And generally, you just don't see these players get, get tossed aside too quickly. I know we've had some trade conversations surrounding this player and, and a couple other players in Cleveland. I view the window that they're in now with the ungodly Deshaun Watson contract and the pressure that they're on to win with that contract. You have to win, you have to at least be at the top or near the top of this AFC at some point in time quickly to start to validate the the mess that you've done and the tailspin that you've put many of these other situations into with Deshaun Watson's contract. Um, and with that said I'm overpaying for offensive linemen. I'm I'm following the Jaguars path with uh, Cam Robinson where I'm keeping a, a high price left tackle on this roster even though I've drafted somebody, I've signed another player, et cetera, et cetera more is better. More is better with this. So I'm going to overpay and I think that's probably where they got themselves. Uh, a, if we have to overpay for, on a fifth year option for a player that may not be performing to what we thought he should be, that's fine. He's a tackle or, you know, we can move him around or B, we can probably find a trade partner, maybe eat some of this fifth year option next year and, uh, and get off this thing pretty easily because of the position that he plays. So I do think there's, a, there's something to be said for the position he plays and we'll go from there. All right, a couple of these that are going to turn basically into placeholders for, you know, a couple of weeks holdover before an extension is done. I think Andrew Thomas, the number four pick, offensive tackle for the Giants, is multi-year extension, blockbuster contract extension due here. Uh upwards of $22 million per year in our system. Uh he's gonna blow rookie extension, offensive lineman contracts out of the water here. Uh Tristan Wirf's most likely the same, although that's a team that, you know, is kind of in a holding pattern in in Tampa Bay and and probably rips a huge bandaid off after this season. Do they keep him around for that? Do they let this play out? Do they franchise tag him? Uh, It's a weird situation in Tampa Bay, kind of across the board. And, uh, And that includes now coach and quarterback as well. I think AJ Terrell is going to get a deal in Atlanta. They've spent a ton of money on the defensive side of the ball and a ton of draft capital as well. But he's one of the one of the holdovers here. It was definitely a strong pick when they made it. Uh, he's part of the core. So I think that one gets done. Justin Jefferson, we talked about this quite a bit. Uh, obviously, he's due you know, a $27, $28 million per year extension. There's no question about that. It's timing. His quarterback's on a one-year deal. His running back might get released or traded. There's a, a lot of moving parts in Minnesota and a lot of uncertainty, despite the fact that you know, Green Bay is kind of going through the motions here with Jordan Love, and Detroit is lingering with a Jared Goff situation. And Chicago's still trying to figure out the Justin Fields roster. So, I I look at this as an opportunity for Minnesota, and at the same time, they're probably aging out of their current window. So, uh, certainly Jefferson's contract is something to watch when it becomes a discussion point. It has not yet, at least outwardly speaking. Um, Derek Brown in Carolina, I like this player a lot all right and he's uh it was a it was a good strong move that he got this fifth year option exercised because to me it means he probably wasn't long for this roster if a lot of things didn't go well over the last 18 months obviously some players improved they've now improved the quarterback position i think they like their wide receivers and their running backs that they've brought in at least early on in this offseason i think they they like themselves quite a bit that probably doesn't mean Brown gets an extension right now, but it's looking in that direction. Right now, he's about Jonathan Allen's $18 million per year. Can he get himself into that Drown Payne $22 million mark? Maybe, maybe. This whole team could graduate themselves forward quite a bit here at the hands of Bryce Young. Uh, but to me, it's a good, good sign that Derek Brown got this fifth-year option exercise because it's a, it's a look in the face, look in the mirror scenario for Carolina that says we like what we see quite a bit. Uh, quickly again with those quarterbacks, Herbert's a place over. His contract is in the works. Um, no, especially now that Lamar's hashtag on und- hashtag done. We'll see if it's actually done Two is going to be a placeholder for a year. Let's be fair about what that's going to be. They got to see him healthy and make sure that what they're seeing on the field can at least be sustainable over a 16, 17, 18 week plus term. Otherwise he's going to get the bag. You know, this guy's a $45 million quarterback when he can play that's what, and that's according to math, not even just the eye test or the, the deep dive anal- analysis. So uh, quickly on, on the quarterbacks, and then we'll get out of here and get to Keith. Jalen Hurts extended. Lamar Jackson extended. Those two, two contracts and where they went from a guarantee standpoint, from an average salary standpoint, from a total value standpoint, have impacted Burrow, Herbert, and Tua's value significantly. So if I told you that coming into this offseason, March 13th, March 15th, Joe Burrow, Mathematically speaking, was a $49 million quarterback. Okay. He was just he was essentially an Aaron Rodgers, 10, 12 years or younger, right? He was that kind of player from a productivity standpoint, according to our calculations, our algorithm, our math. So he was right there with with Rodgers. He's now 53 million on our system because of him, his variable versus Hertz versus Lamar. Justin Herbert was a $46 million player. He's now a 50. on the dot $50 million player. That's just the calculated value, right? So to say that both of these players should surpass what we're seeing in, in Jalen, what we're seeing in Lamar, from an average annual standpoint, that should be a no-brainer if they want to go that route. It's the guarantee stuff, obviously, where it all gets chipped up. And, and I'll be frank, if Lamar's 185 is real, In practical guarantees, that's a big number. That's a big number on a four-year contract. All right. It's going to be very hard for Joe Burrow to approach, you know, the 190 number without having to go 10 years out, you know, eight new years tacked onto the two here that we've got in 23 and 24 to allow the practical guarantees to spread enough so that. There's not a lot up front because you know Cincinnati doesn't want to pump a lot of this, you know, guaranteed at signing out of the gate here. But can they roll it and roll it and roll it and roll it? And will Burrow accept that kind of contract? Or does he look at what Lamar just did or seemingly has just done? Squeezing 185 guaranteed into four seasons, you know? And is that going to be how we look at this? That's why it's really exciting for me to see what Lamar has done. If it's spread out, if there's option bonuses, if there's a lot of void years built into this thing out of the gate, maybe it's not the kind of thing that Herbert and Burrow want to get into. You know, maybe they want to go more traditional: five big signing bonus, one option bonus. See, see, out from there, um, if it's two or three option bonuses, if it's if it's Baltimore standard, sort of mashed together with the Jalen Hurts structure, which is Philly's sort of you know bread and butter, maybe they want to stay away from that because they're thinking about contract three contract for etc so it's fascinating you know that those two contracts kind of back to back here have really upped our algorithm in terms of what quarterback pay is about to go to there's a world where joe burrow can go 54 million a year now and really nobody can say anything about it 55 million a year he's been he's got the the wins he's got the super bowl appearance there's just everything you'd want out of a number one overall pick three years into this thing so uh Certainly an amplified situation. This position is uh, widening the gap on the rest of the league. Let's put it that way. And that's a talking point we'll get to soon. Coming next week, quarterback tiers. I love doing it. The financial quarterback tiers. Now with the draft picks in place, and I'll be able to project those contracts and sort of the depth chart. Uh, What's it look like for QB1, QB2? Contractually speaking, what's stability? I mentioned Minnesota. You know, They didn't draft an eventual kirk cousins replacement even though kirk cousins is is operating on a one-year deal it's essentially a franchise tag so this guy knows how this works and he said as such out loud you know he's been dealing with prove it tenders and prove it contracts for a long long time here and uh, he gets another one in 2023 so we'll break down the tiers based on uh you know one and done uh two years and then we'll see uh you know forever contracts in a couple of cases um I should never have signed this right we should never have signed this if the team regrets regrets it things like that but uh, i always have enjoyed doing that especially after the draft when uh we can sort of see a little bit more clearly how some of these teams might be operating with 2023 and and, and onward let's talk nba keith smith joins me next all right keith get me away from the nfl for a few minutes here please i'm uh i'm too in- <laughs> in- invested in the data input world so uh, look, it's not stopping me from watching a heck of a lot of basketball. I know you're watching uh, every second, every minute, humanly possible. I want to talk about the series that that finished up last week um, because it it makes for some interesting offseason previews, which you haven't gotten to yet. You're kind of going in reverse standings order with our uh, off pre- offseason previews. So the Milwaukee's of the world are still probably a few weeks away. But let's start there. I don't even care about the devastating, you know, uh, one versus eight loss that that's, that's been talked to death. Where does this go? I I mean, there's a coaching discussion. There's a Middleton discussion discussion. There's a, do you keep this band together discussion? Where are you uh, with Milwaukee, at least for the next couple of months or heading towards July 1st?
1: Yeah, they are really in a fascinating spot because for a mid market team. Now, I will couch that with they just sold a large chunk of their ownership group and at a very high evaluation. Uh, So I don't know that anybody feels bad for them. (laughs) Should they say, you know, well, it's getting really expensive for us. I think the answer is going to be great. Who cares? Pay. Um, But they are very, very expensive. They were, you know, roughly the final tax bills haven't all settled, but roughly twenty nine million into the tax, which is, you know, that's you're not at Warriors Clippers level there, but you're like a tier down from, right. from that right. level. So, you know, wildly expensive. Next season, they've got a bunch of key free agents that they really, you know, if they want to run it back, they're going to have to pay and pay handsomely. So first on the list is probably Chris Middleton. He's very, very likely to opt out of his contract. He's probably going to get, you know, one more big deal um, because they, I think, The challenge for Milwaukee is I think they'd feel pretty good about maybe keeping that number down, except there's a bunch of these other teams that are like, Ah, huh, Chris Middleton could really help us. Um, you know, he kind of fits exactly what we need. And that makes it a little bit tough on the box as they, they try to retain him. You've also got Brooke Lopez is a free agent. He's probably – his is a little funky because – and I wrote about this for the site in detail. He's going to be impacted by the over-38 rule, So he's really kind of limited to a three-year deal. But – that's still probably going to be 15-16 million. Middleton probably going to be 35 plus million um in that first year salary if not, you know, approaching 40 or more. Mm-hmm. uh which is what his player option number is. So even if we plug those in, now all of a sudden you're, you know, 40 million into the tax because they are barely below it um as it stands right now once you fill out your roster and all those other things. So wildly expensive team and part of that is They've tried to keep the team together. They extended Pat Connaughton, um for, you know, basically almost doubled his salary going into next year. Obviously Giannis at a max is a no brainer, but you've still got, you know, when people ask like, how are they so expensive? Well, you've got drew holiday at 36 million. You got Bobby Portis at a, uh, you know, almost 12 million. Grayson Allen at you know eight nine million dollars uh, like it all those are the things that all start to add up then you got to resign a couple key free agents and so the next thing you know that's how you're facing the 30 million dollar tax bill
0: all right before we get on to some uh specifics then do you believe this team runs the runs the roster back Keith do you think I I think we've talked offline enough so I can answer this for you do you think it's going to be a coaching change and not a lot of roster change? Maybe no roster changes for 2023, 24. This team was probably good enough to win the East this year. And I think a lot of people internally know that, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I think we may get both a coaching change and some roster change. I, I, I the Middleton one is just odd to me. Mm. Normally when you're that key of a player on a very good team, you this free agency isn't this up in the air as it approaches and it just seems like that may be the one where it kind of runs its course and they, they may say hey that's you know a bridge too far we believe you know we can get by with the guys in house they've also quite frankly they've played without him quite a bit the last couple of seasons due to injuries so they may be looking at it and saying i don't know and we always say right the the team knows the medical history better than anybody else does and they may look at it and say hey that knees only got two more good years left in it and they may decide the best thing for us to do both short and long term is let middleton go i i I I think they're trying to be very respectful. Mike Budenholzer, you know, obviously, you know, had, you know, uh, the loss of his brother in the middle of the playoff series. So I think that's why, you know, normally I think had nothing like that happened and obviously, you know, we're all thinking of him and his family they probably would have moved on already that's just generally how these things go usually don't drag it out but my guess is they're trying to be respectful maybe they're looking at it and saying hey we had a bad series where a lot of stuff happened and you know we still won the title two years ago you know maybe we do want to you know bring him back and try to bring this band back together I think Lopez probably sticks they they've stuck through stuck with him through the back injury and those things but yeah and then I think what's looming over them too is the idea of what i i i'm not calling it second tax apron because that's too cumbersome i'm calling it the super tax they i don't think they want to be a super tax team like i I just think they're sitting there saying man that is going to make building out our roster really really difficult um you know unless we're just you know getting guys on minimums left and right and they don't have all their own draft picks because they still owe picks out to new orleans so you're not even supplementing through the draft if things kind of go sideways. So that's going to be another thing for them. Both. It can't just be about this next season. They have to be thinking about next season, the season after and the season after that. Cause if you become that expensive of a team, all of a sudden you're going to really struggle to fill it out, especially as you age and you do need more depth because some of your key guys are going to miss time.
0: Yeah. There's seven UFA sitting on this roster right now. Uh, Middleton would be the eighth. Uh, and I think that's extremely likely like you're saying here, I believe from a business standpoint and probably from a basketball standpoint, based on that injury you're you're talking about, they can probably get a two for one here, right? (laughs) They cannot pay Chris Middleton $35 million next year on his first salary and turn that into probably two players, which for for a contending team, we've seen, uh, you know, if you've got eight guys on a bench right now, that that's certainly what you want come middle of May and and onward. So I I do think that's going to be one of the bigger names maybe maybe one of the top two or three names keith in, in, around this july 1st discussion is a sign and trade in order or do you think they're going to stay away from that for uh, for hard cap purposes
1: yeah i mean for them thankfully if you sign and trade a player away yeah. you you don't end up hard cap now if you do like one of the double sign and trades like yeah. we have seen you know on occasion they would end up in a Hard cap spot, they may not even be able to do it, too, depending how much money would be coming back. Uh, maybe something where, hey, you're already over the hard cap and then it wouldn't be allowed. Um, but, yeah, I, I think ideally that is what you would like to do. And we've seen them you know, engage in those discussions before. They very famously did it with Malcolm Brogdon where they uh you know worked with the uh, Indiana Pacers to turn that into a sign and trade mm-hmm. instead of just, you know, straight losing him to the Pacers or playing the offer sheet game and those kind of things. So we'll see, you know, where that goes. But yeah, I mean they 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 could what they could do is they could choose to say, hey, it's just not prudent to re-sign Middleton for a deal that's, you know, let's say even, you know, $140 million over four years that averages $35 million or so because it's going to make us too expensive. We don't feel like he's going to get there health-wise. And what they may do is say, hey, if we let him go, that opens up. Now maybe we have the, um, the ability to use the non-taxpayer mid-level. We may be in range to pull that off if we don't have him on the roster. So that's where all of a sudden that could open up and we know every year so a good player two three four five good players are gonna get squeezed in free agency because money just comes off the board like immediately (laughs) then all of a sudden it's like Wow, that guy's still out there. And you would like to be able to sit there and say, hey, here's $12 million that we can offer you to go. It's not exactly what they did with Bobby Porter's, but it's pretty close when they got him a couple of years ago. And then you you, you know, that's how maybe you rebuild your depth, kind of keep things moving and keep things going that way, while also not tying up your books so deeply long term uh, with this. So that's that's going to be the interesting thing. I think it it's This is heavily dependent on how much is another team willing to pay Chris Middleton.
0: Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, I'm sitting here as you're talking, Keith, thinking about teams they could partner up with right now and and kind of make it work for both sides. And unfortunately I I keep coming around to Eastern teams that are in contention, right? Like I, I think Brooklyn, I think Chicago are, they're funny rosters right now and they've got maybe a player or two. Certainly Brooklyn has a player or two too many uh, that free agency is going to figure itself out with and Chicago probably needs a little bit of a facelift. I just don't know if, if all three of these teams would ever play ball together right now in their current situations. But uh, final question on Milwaukee, are they, are they a top destination for an open free agent right now still? Or are they, do you think the question marks we're discussing are question marks that an agent would sit down with the player and say, look, there may be a better, uh, a better ocean for us to swim in right now.
1: Yeah. They're not going to be in the mix for any of the max guys. One, they just can't do it. Yeah, Right. 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 They they can't get there. But I think if you're a, uh, you know, mid career or late career veteran who can still play and they come with, Hey, we have the, you know, even if it's the taxpayer, Emily, or, you know, we do end up with a chunk of, you know, we can give you a chunk of our uh, non-taxpayer Emily. If they lose Chris Middleton. Yeah. You feel like, all right, Giannis and Drew Holiday and you know, probably Brooke Lopez and some pretty good role players. All right, yeah, let's go because I can win here. I can play here and do quite well. And you kind of almost look at it as, you know, they did take care of Bobby Portis, right? They, they basically said, hey, hang in there for two years at lower money than when we have your early bird rights, we're going to pay you. We'll, we'll give you, you know, everything we can. And I think that's what they've done a really good job of is building competitive rosters. And the reality is if I'm a mid-career guy, there's probably – Giannis is in the top two or three guys and I'm like, yeah, I'd like to play with him. Yeah, like, yeah. cause you just feel like no matter what, if he's, you know, as long as he's there, most of the season, we're probably going to be a 51 team or probably a contender. And I feel pretty good about that. So I think they, they, they'll, they, they can do a lot of good work if they have the means to, if they don't just basically run it back to start picking off value signings later in free agency.
0: Fascinating. When you just think about the MVP candidates, right? You've got Giannis with a Middleton problem and you've got, Embiid with at least a question mark with Harden, right? I mean, there's <laughs> yep. no security there. He's playing for some kind of contractor right now and playing well at that. Uh, funny that, you know, these superstars, uh, there's just no settling down in this league ever, 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 nope. ever. Every year, it's every player is, is on the clock. And that's why it's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful league that's making a ton of money for itself right now. Let's flip to yep. Cleveland, um, you know, not, not as much of the hoopla, When they got run out by the Knicks, I think that was somewhat expected from a lot of people in the industry. Is this a roster construction issue or a coaching issue more on its head, in your opinion?
1: I think it's more on the roster. I thought J.B. Bickerstaff did a nice job uh, with this team the last two years. Last year was kind of their hey, we, we took our big step forward, right? We'd been a terrible team that was rebuilding. And last year, we took our big step forward, almost made it through the play-in tournament. And then that gave us the confidence to go all in on a Donovan Mitchell trade and go get him. And now you've done that, and now it kind of is what it is. I think their biggest mistake was when they got to the trade deadline, they could have used Kevin Love's contract, Karis Levert's contract, uh you know you could pile together a couple of deals and go and gone and gotten themselves a real player mm-hmm. to flesh out that rotation we saw they were just they were a player short uh the the entire uh you know first round series against the knicks it was kind of a lot of times it felt like they were playing four on five or even with the way evan mobley kind of shrunk a little bit playing you know five on three then that's a challenge i think for the Cavs now I don't want to overreact to it, right? I've seen a lot of people like, well, do they need to maybe consider, you know, moving mobile? No. Like, that seems insane, <laughs> No, right? no, Like, no. yeah, yeah, this guy's going into his third year. Like, we, you know, I think people forget, too, teams don't usually win in their first run in the NBA playoffs, they get there. It is so different from anything you've seen in the regular season. It just usually takes you a year or two to start figuring stuff out and start, you know, all right, now we kind of understand what it's like to play the same team, you know, four to seven times over a two-week period. We're going to see that same team, and now now we kind of know what it is. So I think, you know, for the most part, you look back at it and you say – all right, we've got our core of Mitchell, Garland, Allen, and Mobley. Now we just going to get the pieces in place. Again, though, starting to get a little expensive, right? Darius Garland's extension kicks mm-hmm. in. That's $33 million. You got Mitchell at $33 million. Allen at twenty. million. None of those are bad contracts. Those are all perfectly fine values for those players. But when you add them all up, now we're up over $80 million for three guys. And I know it sounds weird because Mobley just finished his second year. But a year from now, we'll be talking about what is his contract to yep. look like because he'll be extension eligible. He's only got two years left. And when you get down to one year left, you become extension eligible. So that's just where if you're the, the Cavs, I think you really missed your window. Just buying out Kevin Love, to me, that that's a, that's, was a grave mistake. One, he could have just helped them. Uh, in that playoff series when they're getting brutalized inside, they could at least put him out there because you know he's gonna bang and rebound. Um, but just, you know, basically saying, all right, we'll eat $27 million and just let you go inside with the team of your choice. That to me was a major, major mistake. You could have used that because you're so limited in what you can do. You know, they're basically going to be limited, Pro- they'll have the non-taxpayer MLE, but that's that's it that's that's your 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 roster building piece so adding another you know major guy in here that's where you could use that love salary to maybe try to get something done there and i think that was a missed opportunity and the same with lavert i never felt like once they got mitchell i felt like that was an odd fit all year and then you know you just kind of let it go it became an odd fit in the playoffs and they didn't end up doing anything so that's that's a little bit of my frustration with the calves
0: the core five stays intact though in your opinion? Because I, I know there's been a lot of back and forth on Jared Allen's performance down the stretcher, certainly in the postseason. He looked like, like a different person than he did during a great regular season. Uh, are they gonna keep this Twin Tower scenario set up with Mobley and Allen, you think?
1: I think so. I, I think you do because you had such a good regular season and you just ran into, you know, a team that wasn't great, but the challenge now needs to be Allen and Mobley, you're both seven footers. Like we can't be one of the worst rebounding teams in the league, <laughs> right? And and everybody wants to go. They play two small guards. Yeah, well, they play two seven footers too. Like that that should offset that, right? It's a, 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 a the last I noticed Mitchell Robinson wasn't ripping down rebounds over Darius Garland, right? He was pulling him down over Allen and Mobley and putting him back. I mean, I I said it as they wrapped up. Like Cavs fans, I think when they go to bed each night and close their eyes, they get the vision of Mitchell Robinson <laughs> throwing down a putback dunk right so it's just one of those things i think for this Cavs group it really is like they've got to be better but i think you still stay committed to Allen. you built one of the best defenses in the league around him and Mobley, and i think it's you hope all right hey we had it we had our experience now in the playoffs we know what we got to do to be better and and their challenge is you got to fill that 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 fifth starter spot i like isaac okoro he just hasn't come on enough to be that guy. I don't think it, that guy is Karis LeVert. He's also a free agent. Alcoro uh, extension eligible. So, uh, Getty Osmond, I mean, we've been there, done that for years now. I think you just really got to get that spot figured out because otherwise you're, you're going to be going into the next playoffs again, feeling a little bit shorthanded as far as the way your roster is constructed.
0: This one's fascinating because I, I think there's a there's a chance that your opening statement is exactly how they operate, which is we just needed to get this experience. We're going to run it back next year and and hopefully take ourselves to the next level. Uh, three years, sixty million left on Mo, on Jared Allen's contract, and you, you mentioned the mobile extension eligibility after next season. That sounds like a crossing point right there. Uh, yeah, and, and I would include the coach in that conversation. If if they don't take that next step. And it looks a little bit like it did this year, especially into the postseason. I think you're talking about Allen as a trade candidate, especially with Mobley getting the money. And you're talking about probably bringing in a more experienced coach to uh, see if you can get those guards to really take the next step forward. Because that's that's one of the better one-two punches in the backcourt that we have in the league. There's no question about it. They just uh, underperformed in the, in the postseason here.
1: Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I look at with these guys too is they're a team. If let, let's say they're like 20 and 21 at the halfway point and they've just underperformed, that's where you probably do see a coaching change yeah. in season. It'll probably be all right. We're going to move on and, and see if we can salvage the rest of this year. Kind of what like the Hawks, Hawks did yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And then you kind of go go from there. I look at the Cavs as they're there for me, they're on a very similar arc to what the Memphis Grizzlies were on, where it was. All right, we had our year where we almost made the playoffs. Then we made the playoffs and it didn't go so hot. Now, you know, are we ready now to kind of be that team? And I know everybody's soured on the Grizzlies a little bit here over the last couple of weeks and they've <laughs> done quite a bit of that souring themselves. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but we'll I, get there. I I I do feel like you know, if we could go back to, you know, six, seven months ago, when we all still loved the Grizzlies. I think that's kind of the journey that the Cavs are on at the moment. But yeah, it's, it, it, they're a really interesting team to, to watch. Cause they're also the Kobe Altman's an aggressive GM, right? If he has stuff, the problem is you kind of made your all in move to get Donovan Mitchell. You don't have a ton left to trade. So that's going to be something they're going to have to watch too.
0: Okay. Let's move on to what I would consider sort of this conversation on steroids, right? The Sacramento Kings, um, <laughs> Certainly young, certainly inexperienced with this, t- this time of year. And it looked like it in game seven, right? That's, that's sort of the storyline we're taking away from it. What else are we taking away from Sacramento this season outside of uh, a massive overachieve? I mean, even if you thought they were going to take a step forward, I don't think you could put them here where they ended up uh, giving Golden State a run for their money. And then, of course, where do we go from here, Keith? Just your thoughts on uh, what we saw and where we're going here.
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple things with, with the Kings where this is one where you you don't you don't want to be satisfied with what you just did, but you also don't want to overreact to it and go crazy because right. that's where all of a sudden, if if, if you don't uh, you know really thread that needle the right way, all of a sudden the next thing you know, it's like man, we're starting the next you know decade long uh, you know playoff drought, and that's not where you want to be. So I, I think. They've got all the pieces in place that you want, right? Fox has signed long-term. Sabonis, he's only got a year left, but if he makes All-NBA, which is maybe, right? He could be that third-team All-NBA center behind Embiid and Jokic. We'll see You know what kind of positional games people played. But if, if he makes that, then you're probably definitely getting an extension done. If not... He probably doesn't he probably doesn't sign one because he just even with the changed extension rules, it's still not going to be enough to bump him to where he needs to be. He's got to be probably over 30 plus million. Definitely going into that next deal. Kevin Herter is under contract long term. Keegan Murray showed he's great. As a rookie, they really like Davian Mitchell. But the question is, then it becomes all right, we got Harrison Barnes. Yeah. What are we gonna do here? We've got Trey Lyles, really had a you know full on breakout season. You know, Barnes is now thirty-one years old. This is still a good player, still a solid player, but if they were to wipe their books clean of their salary obligations, they could be in the range of you know twenty five million ish in cap space and could be a player in free agency with that amount. And see, you know, did, did do they like a uh, Kyle Kuzma better mm-hmm. than they like Harrison Barnes? You know, is that something you could do instead of that? My guess is they're probably more likely to get something done with Barnes. They've already done that once. My guess is that happens again, and they just kind of roll things. Uh, forward with tweaks around the edges, um, you know, to uh, what what's been a pretty good team because they think they're also going to be very conscious of we are going to have a new big contract coming for Demontis Sabonis. We probably want to do what we can to resign Malik Monk after next season. So that starts to become, all right, how do we get all that pulled off? And then trade chip-wise, you know, just kind of sitting there because he doesn't play for them anymore. Rashawn Holmes is, you know, $11.2 million now, $12 million next year. That's a guy that they might be able to say, hey, here's a nice piece of salary matching in a trade if we want to get something done on that avenue.
0: It's a fascinating team. It really is. And I and I have to imagine if you're a pending UFA right now, this is one of those organizations that's now on your list because of the excitement that's around that franchise because of the talent, right? I mean, there's there's certainly a core there even though contractually speaking, you know, that contention window doesn't look too big right now outside of a Sabonis extension. Um, and you're right. They're going to have to take care of a few of their own. I uh, did you mention Monk and, his, and an extension there? That's going to have to be an increase in pay at some point in time, right? Yeah, Tons of value there. Yep. Um, yep. I like the Kuzma fit, but uh, me walking away just as a fan, right? And, and maybe a little bit with the roster construction helmet on as well. I, I think I need some grit on this team. But how do you sure. add grit without screwing up this culture? Because the culture is the best part about this Kings team right now. And that is really hard to, to manufacture. And then it's really hard to maintain and also adding and keeping things together. How do they do that, Keith? Right. Cause I, I mean, I hate to bring them up and we're going to transition to it in a, in a second here, but a player like Dylan Brooks with a little <laughs> sure. bit of edge really would make sense for this team. As long as he doesn't torpedo the whole damn thing. Right.
1: <laughs> That's it. Yeah. But so to that point, I think there's guys you can get, that can do that. That won't come in and, and turn everything South on you. I'm thinking of like think Josh
0: Hart too. Right. Who maybe is a yeah. better version of that. Right.
1: Yeah, or or the guy I really like and it's a team they're trying to chase down, so it would help hurt them, is a guy like Bruce Brown. Okay. Right. Bruce Brown played, you know, on the taxpayer mid-level this year. Denver's gonna really struggle to re-sign him unless this is kind of to go back to Bobby Portis, unless there's like a wink wink deal of, hey, play one more year in this, and then we'll have your early bird rights and we'll take care of you. Um, that could be but I think a guy like Gary Trent Jr. would really fit this team a guy will get after it can also make some shots can defend Uh, oddly enough they he left to go to the Warriors but you know if they and I don't think he'd come back because he basically burnt that bridge and then you know dumped it in the trash but Dante DiVincenzo is a guy who would make sense uh, for this team I I think I think guys like Dylan Brooks and Jay Crowder are just their personalities are a little too big Mm -hmm. and I think it's you just don't need that in your your locker room um if you're if you're the uh the kings like it's just you know everything was good this year we we i'm with you you gotta add a little bit more toughness uh to to this group but i don't know that that's the way to do it necessarily but i think you know let's try to get trey lyle's resigned. he was really good for them really really good i don't know how many people you know unless you were staying up like yeah. i am like a maniac to one in the morning watching the kings regularly but he was really good for them i think you know he's a guy who can make a lot of sense to you know make sure you get him back uh, a guy i love who's nothing but hustling great is you to watanabe who really played well at times you know for for the brooklyn nets that's a guy you could get in so i think they have options and what's interesting is right if you go the route of hey we're going to let harrison barnes leave kind of going into the same conversation with the calves you don't have to use that 20 million in cap space on one guy you could use it on Bingo. two guys and it's important that we remember this year, the room exception is not just this $4 million kind of extra spending power at the end. They plus that up to be over $7 million. So now that's better than the taxpayer mid-level. So if you're the Sacramento Kings, of all the teams that have potentially cap space this summer, um, and, and I, I'm still not sold that's the route they go because I think it's more likely they re-sign Barnes. But if you were them, you're competing with Detroit, Houston, uh San Antonio, Mm -hmm. like you're looking at and saying, Hey, uh, we were the third seed we were the ones battling the Warriors in a game seven. Like These teams, e- even the Indiana's, Oklahoma City's, Utah's, are the one. that was cute. They had decent seasons, <laughs> but like we're good. We're good now. Come here, right? And that becomes that seven million all of a sudden looks that it it, it feels almost like more than, say, it feels like it's like 10 plus million and almost like a second mid level um, exception. So that's where I think if they were to go that route, they could do that and really get some stuff done. But I tend to think it's probably Going to be re-sign Barnes to a pretty reasonable deal. Probably be short. Or it'll probably be something where the Kings are protected with non-guarantees on the end or a team option or something, and that's where they go. But I'm with you that you know hey, if we can add a you know another guy here that could kind of come in and knock some heads, and maybe that's where you go with Rashawn Holmes and that $12 million contract. Maybe that's where that's how you use that to go get somebody. Because I would like to see them get one more guy in the front court when Sabonis is getting. And stomped on is going to knock somebody down right it's going to be like all right you want to do that to our guy i'll take you to the floor um and that's where i think that's kind of the next level for this king's team
0: there's a everything you just said leads me to believe this is an easy answer but there's no world where Draymond green joins this roster right
1: <laughs> that, oh, man, that would uh, blow my mind if that happened. If he was like, yeah, I want to stay in the area. Right? I'm just going to go up the road a piece. Uh, yeah, that would absolutely blow my mind if that that would happen. I, you know, it's the NBA, so anything know, is possible. right? Sometimes it's – I learned a long time ago, ne- like never be like, that's insane. That will not happen because then probably that exact thing will happen. <laughs> it's it, it's, it's kind of like when, you know, a year year ahead, you know, my my, my buddy Danny Luru, I believe, was the first one to float. You know, the Warriors could sign time- – Kevin Durant yeah, like this right, yeah. goes and everybody's like, that's not like that. Why would that ever be a thing? And then lo and behold, it was like, well, that's exactly what happened. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say no, but I, I, I find it pretty unlikely. Like. <laughs> okay,
0: fair, <laughs> fair enough. Let's go back to the, uh, the other minister in the league right now. Uh, Dylan Brooks, I, I'm not naive enough, right? Having worked with the NFL for so long now and, and all the chicanery that goes on in that league and, and outside on the outside of that league to know that this, we are not bringing back Dylan Brooks under any circumstance did not come from the Memphis Grizzlies, Keith. That, yeah. is, that is agent speak, sir. That is, yep. that is a team 100%. that contacted an agent and said, start shopping elsewhere because we are done with you. My question is this. Why in the world would any team do that on May 2nd? I don't understand the, any side or angle of business where this is beneficial to them. Why wouldn't you at least string this along, bring this into June, bring this into July, right? make it sound like everything is good and rosy and easy... So that you don't you aren't entering the offseason with all of this discontent, like like self-owned discontent. You gave the agent all the power in the world to do this. And most of them are going to do this. Exactly what happens. So I just don't understand the logic. This seems like a team on the court and in the front office that needs to grow up a little bit.
1: I I yes, I I, there's. So I'm going to give you two reasons why I think this happened. One, I think, is the very likely, and I it gets the emotional reason is, like, they were done with the playoff series, and they put a lot of what happened in those playoffs. Dylan Brooks is their scapegoat, right? They are basically saying, hey, somebody needs to take the blame. Jaws already taken a whole bunch of hits. We're not going to put it on him. Uh, yeah, Dylan Brooks sounds good. Let's put it on him. And let's face it, he made it pretty easy to put it on him. right? He you know, went out there, he said a bunch of stuff. It, it is wildly disappointing to me that if you're going to talk all that trash, then you just skip out on doing media because you lost. Like, I, I have no problem. I've said this a million times over. I have absolutely no issue with the way the Grizzlies have yapped for two years straight because if you don't want them to talk, shut them up. Do something about it, right? Yeah. But then if you're the Grizzlies, when you talk all that junk, then you have to own it on the backside, right? Own it on the backside of, yeah, you know, hey, we we ran our miles and it didn't work and, you know, here we are. Now, my other piece is I wonder if this, you know, collectively got put out there of, hey, agent, you know, and I I don't even know, I should have looked it up, who his agent is, but, you know, uh, Dylan Brooks and, um, you know, Memphis' agent may have got together and said – uh, or Mem- Dylan Burke's agent in Memphis, rather, may have got together and said, "Hey, we're going our separate ways. If we put it out, if 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 you want to put it out there, like then that gives you like obviously he's not going to be a you know it used to be a twelve oh one signing, it's like a six thirty one, mm-hmm. so or six oh one signing. Um, when free agency opens, he's not going to be one of those guys. He's not that good. Um, so I think it's like you know it gives you a little bit of a leg up on talking to teams. I think it's for Memphis, it's." Hey, we're open because it was also what I think got lost a little bit was that came out right after the Grizzlies said, we're going to be aggressive this summer and making upgrades to our roster. And I think those two things kind of in combination lead me to believe of, hey, we're open for sign and trades. And it's funny because a lot of people have said on both sides is why is anyone going to want to sign and trade for Dylan Brooks? Like he just crashed and burned in the playoffs. Well, he did. But he's still a pretty good defender. He can still score even if he's wildly inefficient at doing it. And teams do look for some of that edge and that attitude. And then the other question was, why would Dylan Brooks ever help the Grizzlies? Well, because Dylan Brooks made $11.4 million this year. If he wants to make $15 million plus, this is how he gets it That's done. That's right. You know, so that's you know, and you can put all you can put aside all sorts of grudges when it's, hey, fine, you throw me in a sign and trade for and I'm just picking it out of thin air because we know they chased them before, but you want to put me in a sign and trade for OG and obi mm-hmm. and plus it up with draft picks and you know, we'll throw a couple of our kids in there or whatever. Fine, give me $15 million to do it. And then maybe it ends up non-guaranteed after that or what? however they agree to work that out. But that's something where I could see that's why this was kind of, hey, let's put it out there. But I think for the most part, it was probably just an emotional thing where they told his agent, yeah, we're done. Like, we're, we're finished with you. And his agent came back and said, great, good to know. I'm going to now tell everybody. <laughs>
0: All right. It's that's I mean, it's fascinating. We you you love the drama, you love the the grit that happens this time of year. Uh here's well here's another thing I know about this league, and you know much, much better than I do. This is not gonna stop this guy from making a ton of money. No. <laughs> it's just yeah. not. All right. We see players ha with half of his production in the $10 million range. He's gonna make his 15, maybe even more. Uh, because you're right, there are teams that have talent and need grit. A lot of them. Like, we've yeah. talked about two of them right now, and, uh, and that's only two of thirty. So I, I, I do think this guy is going to be just fine in the end. And by the way, that's why his agent was comfortable saying something like that out loud. It's not yeah, going to affect yeah. the bottom line. It's just going to affect the team's uh, aura heading into the free agency year.
1: And and I I try not to react to the things that fans say, right? Because. Fans will say, like, you know, Jason Tatum has a bad shooting night. And they're like, I hope Jason Tatum enjoys playing in China. Right? (laughs) They say crazy stuff. The problem for me was the number of, like, educated media folk who were like, I don't know, Dylan Burke's career might be over in the NBA. And it's like, what what are we doing? (laughs) Like, you know, I get it. Like, you know, this wasn't good. And it was – the other thing, too, is – Obviously, it's the ending that we're we're stuck with, but he didn't have a good year. He shot under 40% overall. He shot under 33% from three, but still is regarded as pretty good defensively. And again, it's, you know, I'll keep it clean for the show, but every locker room on every good team needs a guy who's a little bit of an Mm a-hole. And like, that's what you need out of, you know, this guy potentially is like, that's where we're going to go. So I think it's, you know, one of those things where, you know, I mean, I, I say it all the time. There's a reason uh, the Morris twins keep getting contracts every year is because it's like, yeah, they're, you know, they do bring something. They bring some edge, you know, to to the roster. And like, you, you never quite know what's going to happen. I do think, though, wherever he goes next, I think it's going to be uh, – Hey, you're our like seventh best player. Like let's tone it down a little bit. Like, you know, we you don't need to be the guy in front of the mic every day. You know, and I and I think that'll be a little bit of the way of, hey, bring that grid on the floor, but no, nobody needs to hear from you in an interview, you know, every third day about how you know, player X isn't actually good. And then, you know, we're, we're going up against, you know, Kevin Durant. Like, that's not, you know, where we need to go.
0: Yeah. Patrick Bevel has made $80 million in this league. Yes. Here. That's all you need to know about that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, last yep. thing, I'll put you on the spot with this one, but I know you're ready for sure. it. Uh, Chris Paul, July 1st. Where are we?
1: Yeah. I think back with the Suns, I, I just think, you know, going all in the way they did um, to get Kevin Durant. Is there? I do wonder if it probably not this year, just because there's they could save fifteen million. And if this was the former ownership group, yeah. we might have a different conversation. Yep. I do wonder if after this year, though, um, when he's got thirty million fully non guaranteed and twenty four, twenty five, that contract was always set up to be mm. waived. And my guess is what they're going to do, and this is probably you know independent on whatever happens in the rest of this series. They're set up to really be players through the 25-26 season. That's Kevin Durant's last year under contract, so that's three more years after this. So I'm guessing Chris Paul's just back at his full number. They fully guarantee his deal. Cause saving 15 million isn't going to do all that much for them but then the next year they probably do waive him but waive him with the understanding of hey we're going to give you that that 30 you know million it well probably it'll be over 38 rule but we're going to give you you know that money somehow we're going to get there but we're going to spread it out over the next couple of years I see, and that's kind of how they do it so that's that's i I think it'll probably be you know or we may get to you know if they rally back this year or next year if they win a title we may say chris paul i think he could be the guy who's like i'm just done like we i did what i wanted to do you know i'm now starting to approach 40 years old like i don't want to do this anymore but i think next year probably looks exactly like what it looks like right now
0: Great stuff, Keith. The uh, the pieces continue to pile up on com as the offseason previews are, uh, are put into place and uh, all the positional breakdowns for the upcoming free agency season are now in place as well. Uh, it's great stuff as always, Keith. Appreciate it.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.